Martin gifted me at the factory one year at Black River a spine that never came out. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast, a weekly show where we will dive deep into the history, stories, and controversies surrounding the fingerboarding community. Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to the Finger Space Podcast. I'm your host, Nostalgia FB, and we're excited to be chatting with Nash from Sorry for Fingerboarding. Don't forget to mash that subscribe button on your streaming platform of choice. This show is sponsored by Fingerspace Co., which provides fingerboard gear for riders of all skill levels and budgets. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Nash. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Just, you know, got off of work and now sitting in the AC because it's nice and hot outside. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's starting to get back to it. Huh? Did the Cali ever cool down or no? And the part where I'm at, I'm in Central California now. You know, it, there's actual real seasons. It's not like L.A. where it's just 75 every day. So a few weeks ago, it was 60. Now it's like 89. So, yeah, it's a definitely a temperature change. You know, I'm out here in Vegas, so we're, we're, I feel it. I feel it. We're getting up there again, too. Yeah, it can be cold out there, too, for sure. It's, oh, dude, it's terrible. Nobody out here knows how to handle the cold. <laughs> Flip-flops and shorts, right? Yeah, exactly. So, of course, we're here to talk about fingerboarding. And the first question that we like to ask everybody that comes onto the podcast is how did you hear about fingerboarding and get into it? All right. For me, that question could be answered in two ways. So I'll answer both. Growing up as a kid, my dad worked in the skateboard industry. So naturally, before Tech Deck, I had fingerboard ramps he constructed, you know, out of scrap wood from making ramps or making skateboards. So he made me a quarter pipe and bank ramps and a half pipe, you know, all out of real raw materials from skateboard ramps. So I had boards called flip decks. They were see-through transparent plastic, like trucks that didn't turn, they're molded. And uh, I had those, I had the keychain board, so on and so forth. Tech that comes around, I have them, you know, fingerboarding as a genre has always been around because of skateboarding, but the professional world of fingerboarding didn't come to me until 2005 or six. And I saw on G4, the old video game channel, the uh, they called it the Nerd Olympics. It was like a little segment they had on Attack of the Show. And they showed clips from an old Fast Fingers. So I saw, you know, you see all the Black River stickers, you know, on the parks in this video. And, and the crazy part is I didn't even have internet at the time. So I had to like go from my house after watching that at my grandma's. So grandma's to home, ride my bike to the library, internet for one hour with your library card and, and find out this world of fingerboarding. And from there in 2006, you know, the rest is history. Now we're here. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that's, that's fingerboarding for me. You know, it's been, like they said, it's been around the whole time, but now the professional world's over 10 years. That's crazy. I mean, it's what if you never saw that one clip in that video? Probably would just be stuck with the tech decks until recent you know fingerboarding has blown up over the last two years in a way we've never seen it before with all these crossover collabs so yeah had i never seen that video being in a small town probably have just been still with the tech deck now when you were a kid and you, you say you had these different fingerboards and toys growing up in tech decks and you grew up in the skating culture saying that your dad worked in the industry 
but was it something that you were like, oh, I love playing with these toy skateboards or is it something that just happened to be there? I really enjoyed it, you know, because now you have a mini skate park in your room. So when you're not at the skate park down the street from your house, you have the skate park in your room. The fingerboard world, you know, rip tape and Berlin Woods and bearing screws and all the old school stuff you used to make a good fingerboard out of. When I found that, I'd recently started racing bikes. So skateboarding, you know, took a back burner because you can't get hurt on a skateboard to perform well on your bike. So I was like, if I can't skate, I'm going to fingerboard. And I just fell in love with it a whole lot more due to restrictions from bike racing at the time. Awesome. That's, that's, that's awesome. It's like, it's, it's strange how everybody fingerboards for different reasons. Fingerboard because one, they can't skateboard or two, they physically, you know, are not able to or allowed to. Yeah, that was exactly the reason. If I wanted to perform good on the weekend at a bike race, I knew I couldn't, you know, go and try kickflips downstairs that's, you know, injuring your body if you're not landing it and then trying to go perform on the weekend. So it was like, oh, if I can land kickflips on my desk and I'll get the same satisfaction learning new tricks and I'm keeping my body healthy at the same time for my other projects, you know. It's a win-win, sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So the year is 2005-2006. You discover this whole world of professional fingerboarding. What was your next move, if you can remember? Do you find this stuff out? What do you do next? That's when I find out, you know, I start gathering, you know, Arctic Tuning, Summit Tuning, all these little companies with screws and O-rings and grip tape, sandpapers, probably, because they're different grits. You know, and, you, and you're building fingerboards to your liking, you're t- modifying tech decks to be exact. And then I show my dad, dad, get me some boards. He said, no, I'm not ordering, you know, boards. You'll probably never get it. It's sold by a little kid. You know, just like a dad being cautious and looking out for you. He said, if I can make, you know, real skateboards in the past, I can make a fingerboard. So I think, I don't remember the guy's last name, but his first name was Brandon. And he owned Primo fingerboards and he had a video on how to make a fingerboard mold out of tech decks using Bondo. So that was like kind of the first steps for us. And then it was like, okay, we're making our own boards now. And they were like three plies of walnut aircraft wood and hand-drawn graphics. Like it wasn't the prettiest site. We still have some, (laughs) but it was the early beginning, you know? So that was the next move after finding out, you know, the fingerboard world. Wow. So instead of, you know, going on to Black River or getting a Berlin, would you straight up, your dad said, no, let's make these. And you just started making them. <laughs> yeah. Just out of like the fear of him, you know, you if, imagine we go back all those years and you're on finger flip and you're dealing with other kids, 12 years old, 13 years old. He was just like, no, you're going to get ripped off. You know, like so he's like, let's save it spend the money on buying the uh, materials we need to make it because we already have the tools and let's try and do it ourselves. So outside of it, you know, it was also like bonding with my dad, creating this now, sorry, project. We just didn't know what we were doing. We were doing it then, you know. (laughs) That is awesome. Wow. Kind of, um, we talked to to Northwoods a while back and he had a similar thing where he 
when he found out about fingerboarding, he started making his own decks rather than going out and buying somebody else's. And he says he didn't try his own fingerboard, real fingerboard until like 2013 or whenever it was. How long did it take you to get your hands on another fingerboard that wasn't one of yours? Probably like a year into it. Yeah. So, you know, another year after making them and constantly like, you know, you, you saw it on the internet and as a middle schooler, you still want it, you know, like I want that when I saw on the internet and this is what Elias Asmuth and D-Rex are using in the videos. I like a bet with my parents and I had won the deal and they bought me my first Berlin wood. And I remember staying up because of the time change until like four in the morning that Berlin would drop. He bought it. It sold out in like three minutes because Timo back then just made small batches the same way most companies do now. It wasn't like mass produced. So yeah, I got it, came in in a month, you know, shipping's really slow. And yeah, it was like a year later, but we remember seeing it like, okay, yeah, the quality it's, it's here, but this is where we need to take our next level. You know, like we need to take our boards to this level and keep going. Wow, that's that's awesome. And and like many years was a Perlin wood to start. Yeah. So what was that that evolution like for, for Shari in the business? It started by you and your dad bonding and just making these boards. And how did this progress into what it is today? Oh man, that's a tough one. I gotta I kinda gotta think like it's been years since since those times. I gave you the timeline. We're making boards. We're in a hall. We're in our hallway. We had like this floor heater that didn't work. So we'd sand boards over the floor heater. So the sand, the dust would just go into the floor heater and under the house instead of like doing it outside or something. So we did that. I'm seeing rendezvous videos, you know, rendezvous three, rendezvous four from Mike Schneider on the East coast. And I'm just thinking like, wow, I've never fingerboarded with another fingerboarder, just like my cousin or a friend that comes over from school. So I was like, well, I got to see that maybe two years into it, maybe even a year into it. I was already throwing bike races, kind of illegal alley cats, what they're called, not permitted. So I was like, well, I, I know how to pull sponsors for an event and have the media and the flyers so I can throw a fingerboard contest. And I threw a few fingerboard contests in my small town. Four people showed up maybe. So, yeah, I mean, that just kind of fast forwarded the progress of our brand and originally we were called FYC and then we changed the name to push pop and with the push pop name it's 2009 10 we were actually sold on Flatface. mike schneider had picked up our brand and we actually met mike in la at a meetup and then cycling kind of got really serious for me and a lot of big teams and travel so fingerboarding kind of hit a back burner and in 20. 13 December 2013 I met the guys from Black River in Hollywood and from there I got a job and started working with them and sorry was all those brands and ideas were brought back through the name of sorry in 2014 so it's like there's a timeline to it it hasn't always been the same name but we've been doing this since 2007 as a brand that's like loosely based timeline but that's that's how it went that's how yeah it's how it brings us here now Man, so could you have ever predicted the way the business went from when you started? Like, was this ever was this ever the goal? Like, you started just by making fingerboards with your dad. Yeah. Did you have ever envisioned this? No, no, it's not like a prediction. And what's funny, like, I was living in Long Beach and I moved back 
to the Central Valley 2019. Moved back in 2019, I think it was, middle of 2019. And my parents are like, okay, you live in a house now. You're not in an apartment anymore in LA. So take your stuff home, <laughs> like the stuff I left there. So I get to go to their house and pack stuff up to now put in my house because got more space than a one bedroom or a studio apartment in LA. And I'm finding old notes and business plans from these early days, right? And it's like, make Barrick's replica. And then you look at the date. 2007, 2008 on that note. And you fast forward to two years ago, a year ago, and the collab happened and I made a barracks replica. You know, it just happened years later. Like dream setups on these notes, Berlin Woods and Black River Trucks and all this stuff. Now I have endless setups, you know, being sponsored by Black River, owning Sorry, like all these little dreams, you know, big dreams, little dreams that I had written down came true. I just never predicted it would happen in my twenties. <laughs> so yeah, you can't, you can't predict it, but don't lose sight of those dreams. That's awesome, man. And that it came, I mean, it definitely, there had to have been a lot of hard work, but it was like the amount of preparation that you had that met perfect timing. It just, it seems so natural. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's perfect timing. You know, I never planned for it to happen the way it did. So it's completely perfect timing, but with enough experience and knowledge backing it, you know, to help it excel the way it has now. We all know about, like you just mentioned, the rendezvous happening out in Massachusetts and the Flatface Warehouse and all that type of stuff. Would you say that inspired you, like you mentioned earlier with the videos, to put together your fingerboard events and grow them to be kind of that over there, but on the West coast. Yeah, definitely inspired by Mike Snyder's videos and the rendezvous in the early days when he did it in front of his house and whatnot. I was like, you know, there's nothing on the West coast. I maybe went to two events that I even barely knew of when I was like first discovering and head over heels and fingerboarding. So yeah, there is nothing out here. And especially when I came back into the scene to create Sorry, there was that one event in Hollywood that was actually an art show put on by Black River. So it wasn't an actual fingerboard event. It just had fingerboarding involved. So it was like the deal with, with Black River, Martin and Andy and the Martin, other Martin Winkler, you know, the other guys was Nash. There's nothing on the West Coast like there is on the East Coast. And there's nothing on the West Coast that's like Germany. We're going to give you this park, the Black River Park I have. We're going to give you this product consignment. And your deal is you get to keep the park if you can host X amount of events in one year and get rid of this product for us because we don't want to send it back home on a pallet. So I was like, okay, like, yeah, no problem. Like, it's just going into work mode again and let's, let's make it happen. And with that agreement in Hollywood, with Black River in 2013, that's how Sorry was born, how all my projects from the past were reborn. That's the story for that. Like, no, not, it never gets put out there too much. Like, maybe this is the first time I've brought it up on the public. So, but yeah, it's like that was the agreement with Black River. So I'm very fortunate that they put trust in me and for them to work with me for, you know, in 2021. So eight years now, it's, it's, a, it's a good role. That's awesome. And that's insane. I would have never guessed that that's how, you know, sorry, and especially the events came to be because 
your events are featured all over Instagram and they're featured in some of the biggest, you know, YouTube channels, Undialed, Shelby Muffin, you did the thing with the Barracks, Black River TV. That is the place to be over here on the West Coast. Yeah, it's it's for sure like like the West Coast, the biggest event, I'd say. You know, we've gone to San Francisco, San Luis Obispo, Long Beach, L.A., San Diego, Santa Cruz. Like the list goes on and on. Since we've been out for so many years, we've done the tours where we hopped in the van and did a different skate park every day. That was the agreement. You know, there wasn't nothing, but there wasn't much happening on the West Coast. And that was my mission. We need to make fingerboarding more aware here on the West Coast. This is where skateboarding's heart is. Let's make the merge. And that's that. Man. That's awesome. From my personal experience, I, alongside my sponsor, Mescal FBS, threw the first ever fingerboard out event out here in Vegas, because similar to what you're saying is that there was nothing out here besides, you know, closet fingerboarders is what I like to call them. And I learned a lot, especially in what it takes to put on an event. Can you kind of tell us about if you had any struggles or trials when you were trying to put on these events in the very beginning? I mean, I'm sure everything never always went as planned. Yeah. So, I mean, in the very beginning and even now, there's ups and downs into throwing an event. In the very beginning, it was finding the right place that, you know, anyone could find a local park and try and throw an event there. That's going to be cool. But when you want to keep it on a more professional level, you know, security, parking, spots for the parents, you got to take care of the parents. We we got to find the right venue. And Grinders in Huntington Beach was actually the first sorry venue. And it's right next door to Huntington Beach Band Skate Park. So it couldn't have been a better marriage to like just try and get the public over, you know, to see fingerboarding. And that went always went really smooth until we got too big. So that first day on a word of mouth, not so much advertised and less by the sponsors, brought out I think 92 people and fast forward four months from that first event now you're at 250 plus people (laughs) and we reached capacity and it did not make not grinders but it did not make the general area happy to see all these little kids running around you know skateboard kids that if they're not fingerboarding they're trying to do skateboard tricks on the bench and you know it's just it can create chaos so you gotta like find a good venue that's willing to work with the chaos of little kids like drinking Red Bulls and fingerboarding all day, (laughs) running around causing a ruckus, you know, you got to have the right permits, like security, like all all those measures into throwing an event is something most people don't look at, but those, those can be the ups and downs. You know, you got to make sure like health codes are met and you're not reaching capacity. And if you are got an event, venue based off of someone else's recommendation like make sure you respect the place not only for the venue but also for the people that recommended you it's been cool because creating this atmosphere like the event we did in san luis obispo we were invited out by the city so that was like a city funded event and we did a free pop-up there but that being invited by like a local government in another city just from them coming to check out Huntington Beach, that was really quite special for us. Wow, that's that's awesome. And it's kind of like you made it, you know, that like this is a real thing. This is happening. It's not just, you're not in Kansas anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. You're not in Visalia anymore. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be Kansas. It could be this little town with like 100,000 people, you know? <laughs> and, 
Yeah. I mean, you talk about the events in preparation, the barracks event, when we did women's battle at the barracks, we did 5,000 people more or less coming to our booth and we gave out 500 little tech decks with that proper branding for the sponsor. And when you're hosting 5,000 people, that took like two months of planning. And then we had to like hire staff. We brought out Ramon from Germany and hired some fingerboarders from the local area. It was, it was a whole thing. You know, it was like a trade show at that point. Man, that's awesome. That's, I need to make it out there, but. <laughs> yeah, come out whenever you can. You're welcome. Definitely. But unfortunately, last year in 2020, things took a turn for the worse, as we all know. Oh, yeah. How did that affect you and the brand? Because, you know, you do have your fingerboards and all that, but so much of it is the events and the, the local like community work that you do. What was that like when everything got put on hold? So 2020, March 13th or March 12th, I think it was the day before the shutdown. I was in San Francisco hosting an event at Laughing Monk Brewery with the charity fundraiser for San Francisco Skate Club. And the first event we had there the year prior, we reached capacity in the building. That day last year, we had 20 people maybe. And it was because everyone was scared of the pandemic. You know, it's something to be scared about. But back then, nothing was shut down. And it was just on the news. And you didn't know if it was real. You didn't know if it was fake. Was still a risk to even go up there. So went to San Francisco. It was a Thursday. I remember it being a, a weekday event. We'd done a few events before in LA. They ran smooth. We that was our fourth event of the year in a different city. We had already done San Luis Obispo. We'd done Long Beach. We did Huntington, and now we're in San Francisco. And yeah, it was it was weird because you know people are scared. Some people are wearing masks. Some kids are buying stuff from our pop up shop we put in the event but they're calling their friends on the phone. Hey, can my friend Venmo you? His mom won't let him come, you know, because they they don't want to get the virus. So that was a big eye-opener. <laughs> like, everything shuts down the next day, and we we're like, dang, we're not doing an event again till who knows when. We did an online event maybe two months later, and that was cool. We had about 100 people participate from around the world. We partnered up with Slush Colt to do that one. It was fun, but it just didn't have the same feeling. You know, I didn't get to see everyone again. I didn't get a sesh with my friends for five hours on 15, 16 different parts. So now past that online event, we haven't done much. We haven't done an online event again. So yeah, I miss it. It put a, it put a damper on the year, but we're still active as a board company and product making videos and with some friends that do come over locally. But the whole event thing, it's it's tied up right now. We're hoping for June to come back in Huntington Beach. Huntington just hit the orange tier. So I think that allows events like concerts to be limited capacity. So we're going to have to be really strategic and smart with permits with the city and throwing that event. But June's the goal. Well, that sounds, unfortunately for what happened last year, that it sucks. But this year, I think everything will be on the up and up and you'll be able to get back to it. 
with the precautions in place and all the safety measures, but, you know, at least to be able to do something. Yeah, I miss everyone. The events were held like every other month, the free ones in Long Beach every first Friday. So I was getting to see everyone pretty regularly. And I'm like, dang, you don't realize like how much you'll miss people until you're locked in your house. (laughs) It's kind of funny to look at it that way, you know? That is very, very true. To change the tone of things, because this is a happy show and we like to talk about positive things, I want to ask you a weird question. Go for it. What is your favorite piece of fingerboard gear or memorabilia that you own? Ooh, that I own. Dang. Okay. Can it be more than one? (laughs) Sure. No wrong answers. Yeah, the collection's quite large. Last year, not obviously not last year, like we're stuck in one really long year. <laughs> when I was in Germany for Fast Fingers, I had recently acquired some ramps from the ASI shop. And I have the quarter pipe from one of the Herrix videos that Elias was in. So that one's really special to me. It's got like all the old Black River stickers on there when the Skull logo was just black on black. So that one's pretty special. Recently acquired a Berlin wood from the catapult store that were custom airbrushed. That one I've been on the hunt for since it came out way back. Martin gifted me at the factory one year at Black River a spine that never came out. So I have a a traditional spine ramp from Black River that's maybe two out there in the world that I know of. And he gave me a bonsai concrete U ledge, like a curved ledge that says Black River in it. And that was really happy that made it home, not cracked in the airplane. So I still have those. And then owning the half pipe still, it's hanging on my wall that my dad made me when I was two years old that I hold on to, you know, it's coming with me everywhere. And just all the original boards that I have from the early days of the companies holding on to those is really important because it shows the history from where we started. So All those items in a nutshell are probably like my favorite pieces of fingerboard memorabilia I own. That's awesome. And I know to some people listening, it probably sounds like a lot, but I bet you have a lot more. Oh, yeah. That's like the key players in the collection until I actually pulled the collection out. Like, wow, I forgot these, you know. Oh, and those flip fingerboards I mentioned, they're like flip decks or whatever. It's nothing related to the skateboard company. I still have those too. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah we go until i was like two years old one and a half years old we still have those fingerboards you know available to see so there's a lot i've held on to but those are the key players right there that's that that really is really really cool all right nash last question this is for the the people listening that look up to you for inspiration and for what you've done what's one piece of advice that you would give them if they were trying to fill the shoes that you wear now? Yeah, if anyone's trying to, you know, fill the shoes I'm in or wants to take my job, (laughs) uh, you know. Not necessarily your job, but do something similar. You know, that. well, you know, it's out there. I'm going to get old someday. I can do this as long as I can, but, you know, there'll have to be someone to take my place soon. Try to learn everything you can about running a business. So pay attention in school and then learn marketing if you can. Marketing's huge. Don't give up. You know, if your first boards don't come out right, 
keep trying. You know, this, it's just wood, it's wood and glue it, and it's patience. You need a lot of patience to perfect it. And if you're trying to do an event, make sure you got everything lined up because the worst thing is you don't want the cops to show up to your event. You can ask me, you can ask Mike Schneider. We've been at the same events where like, you had permission to be there from a manager, but they didn't get permission from the city. And now the cops are shutting down a fingerboard event. So just get, get all your ducks lined up in a row and learn from our mistakes. You know, do your homework. Do your homework. I like that. We're going to have to talk about that, that whole cop situation in the next one. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Venice Beach 2015. Mike had come out. We we're doing a little Black Uber tour. We can talk more about it, maybe get him out here. And the cops came. They were going to shut it down. They told him, they told him something like, oh, you can't sell anything. You know, you don't have the permit, right? With the city. Because he didn't want to deal no hassle, he threw all the product and then it was free. Yeah. So all the wheels and boards he had in his hand that was some kids were trying to buy, it all became free. You just had to grab it fast on the floor at that point. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh man, we, oh. So maybe we can get him, you know, we can get him on the phone and uh, we can have him also chime in on that conversation because that tour was a week long and it was me, Chris Kraft, Chris Diso, Mike Schneider, Andreas Hick, Drake Elliott uh, joined us on a few of the stops too. And we went from Santa Cruz to San Diego. So that's like a, that's a whole story that all those guys can chime in on skateboarding and fingerboarding. Sorry for fingerboarding tour 2014. I believe it was. I know the people want to hear that story, but Nash, I am not going to take up any more of your time. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I know I learned a ton and I'm sure everybody listening learned a lot from you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll talk soon. Just uh, send me an email. Yeah. We'll get the next conversation going. Sounds great, man. Until the next one. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finger Space Podcast. Thanks for skating by. And don't forget to nosebonk that subscribe button and dark slide on over to our Discord server. This episode was produced by Fingerspace Co. and hosted by Nostalgia FB. Big thanks to all guests and listeners.